0: Well, uh, Eastridge, it is a tremendous joy and an answer to prayer for me to be here today on so many levels. I bring you greetings from Baltimore Bible Church, where I have the privilege of serving as a senior pastor, and also bring you greetings from West Sand Lake Community Church, where Andy Craig and his wife Priscilla uh, serve, and where my mother, Trudy Lawson, <laughs> attends... <laughs> And uh, just last week, I was uh, with Andy and his family and I filled the pulpit at uh, West Sand Lake uh, Community Church and my wife, uh, Jennifer, taught for their uh, women's conference uh, the Saturday before and it's just a a wonderful reminder to me of the beautiful connections uh, within the body of of Christ. And uh, Andy and his family send their their love and West Sand Lake was so blessed uh, and encouraged by the short-term missions trip uh, that your church made to their church A few years ago, and I've uh, prayed for this church ever since I knew that you were in need of a shepherd. And uh, Eastridge, you need to to know that you have a true shepherd in Kempis Hernandez, a wonderful gift, and his wife Andrea and uh, their family. And I've had the joy of uh, knowing Kempis and his family since I began attending the Master Seminary back in 2006, Uh, We attended classes together. Our kids did Awana uh, together. I've observed his life both inside ministry and outside of ministry. We've prayed together, and those prayers uh, eventually brought him here in God's sovereignty, and I'm excited for what the future holds for this church. Uh, Kempis is a man who knows how to lead from the front. Uh, He's a man of courage and integrity, and he's willing to do the right thing, even if it's the hard thing. Uh, He's a man who knows how to lead from the side. Uh, he's a true brother, a friend, a discipler, and uh, he's a man who knows how to lead from behind. Uh, just yesterday, we were in downtown Seattle, and there was a man who was asking for help. And I have to be honest, uh, we have a high population of homeless in, uh, in Baltimore, and I usually say not today uh, when people ask for, for help and move on uh, because they're usually not asking for the kind of help that they need. Uh, We serve in a a rescue mission in in Baltimore, and uh, we serve in other ways, but uh, normally I don't try to serve them right in the the moment, uh, unless it's just for for prayer to to try to share the gospel. But Kempis stopped to take the the time to find out what this uh, man uh, was asking for, and uh, all he needed was help getting across the street. Uh, So uh, (laughs) Kempis went behind his wheelchair and pushed him across the street and just had a a wonderful opportunity just to see uh, Kempis literally serving from behind uh, this man. (laughs) Uh, to, to push him across the street. And uh, that's the kind of example that you have in campus, a man who knows how to lead from the front, from the side, and from behind as, as well. And uh, I already love uh, this church. I'm uh, not sure how many kids are in here. I mean, I've heard that at least twice, that you love kids and grandkids. So uh, uh, thankful for that. But uh, also, I uh, got to know a little bit of your congregation. I, I spent some time with uh, Derek and Carol Iverson of been hosted by uh, jeff and cheryl benjamin and and yesterday i mentioned to, to jeff that uh, my teeth was in pain uh, i had a temporary crown uh, put on a, a couple weeks ago and i've been in pain since uh, the time i had my temporary crown put in and uh, Aaron Freeman, uh, he made a call to Aaron Freeman, a dentist here, and uh, uh, she made a, a kind of emergency appointment for me to come in and, and see her. And uh, I can say I'm able to preach today pain-free uh, because of the, the service uh, that I had yesterday. So uh, just very grateful. And that's just one example of the, the kind of servant's heart uh, that I've heard about this congregation. So I'm just very grateful, grateful to be here. Uh, if you would take your Bibles and open to 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. The theme, the major theme of 1 Peter is standing firm in the face of Christian suffering. And over in chapter 5 and verse 12, uh, Peter says, I've written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. And that the reason uh, that he's exhorting the church to stand firm is because there are so many pressures from the outside for the church to fall flat, to to fall underneath the the threat of, of persecution and the pressures from the outside. And in chapter 4, Peter speaks about suffering and says the church should be prepared for suffering. They shouldn't be surprised by the fiery ordeal uh, that they're about to, uh, to face. In First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. And the, the word that he uses for strange is the word for foreigner, you know, uh, somebody who's from the outside, uh, the word for, for uh, to be surprised, don't think it's strange. You know, it's the word for receiving a foreigner, receiving a stranger. And what Peter is saying is that suffering should not be looked at by the Christian as some kind of foreigner who's from the outside. It's not out of place. When we see uh, persecution come to the church, we shouldn't be wondering, you know, who invited persecution here? It's, it's part of the household furniture if you're a believer. It's not a stranger. Don't look so surprised when we face persecution for the sake of righteousness. So in chapter 4, Peter gives these very necessary and practical uh, words of advice regarding Christian suffering. But in chapter 5, Peter makes this transition from suffering to shepherding. From the expectation of suffering to the example of shepherding. And the question that you might ask is, what's the connection between suffering and shepherding? Is there a hard break between chapter 4 and chapter 5? You know, is Peter leaving his discussion of suffering back in chapter 4 and moving to something completely different in chapter 5? You know, what what does shepherding and suffering have to do with one another? I'm glad that you asked the question, how about this? (laughs) Suffering for righteousness is the occupational hazard of shepherding. And there's no way that you can prove to be an example to your flock to follow the example of the chief shepherd, if you're not also willing to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. It's an occupational hazard of the ministry. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 17, it says, "...for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and what better place for that judgment to begin or examination to begin than with the shepherds of the flock of God." Suffering for righteousness is the occupational hazard of ministry. And what Peter is doing in chapter 5 verses 1-4 through 4, as he's preparing the elders of Asia Minor to be an example in suffering to the church. Safety has never been the number one priority in ministry. Ministry has always been a dangerous calling. And the same could be said about the, the Christian life. There's no way around it. You might as well get used to it. Suffering is on the packing slip. If you open the box of Christianity, suffering is in there with all the other blessings of Christianity. Suffering's one of those. Philippians chapter 1, and verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted, it's a gift, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. It's been granted to you. We have to learn to embrace that as part of the Christian experience. In fact, it would have been the expectation that if suffering was to break out against the church, who would be the first in line to bear the brunt of that attack? It would be the leaders, right? You know, the first military targets are the, the leaders, aren't they? And if you can strike the the shepherd, you know, maybe the sheep will scatter. So Peter knows that if he's going to talk about this fiery ordeal, the fire is going to be the hottest for the shepherds. So the elders need to be exhorted because they have the task of providing help, comfort, strength, guidance for others. They'll be expected to provide oversight during difficult times and difficulty. They're the examples for others. They have to be properly motivated And we'll see how Peter exhorted the elders in verse 1. What Peter exhorted the elders in verse 2. uh, The way to follow that exhortation at the end of verse 2 and verse 3. And then the results of following that exhortation in verse 4. But the the first observation that I want to make, and it's an obvious one, but it's important, the elders are exhorted. Verse 5, therefore I exhort the elders. This is just a reminder that shepherds are sheep too. Just because a, a pastor is given a specific role within the church doesn't mean that he's been transformed into something other than a sheep and once we no longer see ourselves as sheep we're no longer qualified to be shepherds and this is what peter is doing right here he's exhorting the elders the elders of asia minor to to shepherd them you know the shepherd is shepherding the shepherds and it starts out by this this humble exhortation. And he does this in in three ways as an elder, as a witness, and as a a fellow partaker. Take a look at verse 1 again. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Elder, witness, and partaker. He considers himself an elder, a fellow elder. And I exhort you as a a fellow, fellow elder, as one with you, one who's in the trenches with you. And this is how Peter does it. He doesn't address the elders as you know, the Pope, but as a partner. He doesn't address them as a superior, but as a slave who's right alongside of you doing the same work. You know, We might assume that if He urged them as an apostle that He was speaking in a position above them, but He comes alongside of them as a fellow elder. And He places Himself underneath the same authority that He's exhorting the others with. I exhort you as a fellow elder. This is the exhortation that I need And I'm giving that same exhortation to you. And Kempis, you need to be reminded that that you are underneath the same Word of God that you preach. You need to be exhorted by the same Word. How how is the the elder shepherded in part by what he even preaches? That you're being shepherded by this same Word. The same Word that you exhort others with, you are to be exhorted with. And this is what Peter did. He was an example. He was a fellow shepherd. And also as this fellow shepherd, elder he himself was willing to suffer the persecution that he's now warning others about you know we find that in the book of acts peter was arrested he was threatened he was imprisoned he was beaten there was an intent to execute him in acts chapter 12 and then tradition lets us know that later on he became an example even in the the death that he suffered under nero he was an example of what he taught the others to do so he comes along as a fellow elder He also speaks as an eyewitness as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter witnessed the rejection of Jesus by the religious leaders, the alienation from his family, the plots to take his life, the agony in the garden, sweat like great drops of blood, the betrayal of Judas, the Jewish court that spit in Jesus' face, beat Him with their fists, saw the nail prints in Jesus' hands and His feet. He witnessed the sufferings of Jesus Christ. He saw the chief shepherd suffer. And now he says, I I come as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I saw what our chief shepherd went through. And he's left us an example to follow. 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. He's left you an example for you to follow in his steps. I've seen the chief shepherd. And we can trace our lives around his pattern. Back in uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 21, it says, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. That, that word for uh, example is the, the Greek word uh, hupogramas. You know, Gramas means to write, and hupa means under. And uh, basically the, the way that uh, the Greeks would teach their children to write was they would you know kind of trace the, the letters out, you know, put a sheet over it, and then the, the children would write over what was underneath. You know, sometimes, uh, and you might have had the same thing, I remember... When I went to uh, the school, elementary school, you know, they, they kind of dotted out the, the A, dotted out the B, and then you try to trace it over you know, so you can practice your letters. And Jesus Himself becomes the pattern that we trace our lives over. You know, I want to follow His example. How did He do it? You know, we're to follow His example. And Kempis, you need to, to look to Christ as your chief example to follow His lead, to, to trace your life around His pattern He's the blueprint for your ministry. Not only does Peter remind them as an elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but he also reminds them of the the glory to follow. He says, I'm a fellow partaker of this glory to follow. This glory that is to be revealed. In the Greek, it's actually an about-to-be-revealed glory partaker. You know the grammar there. If you remember, Peter had a small foretaste of that glory to come on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus was revealed to him in that, that future kingdom glory. And what Peter reminds them of is, is there's, there's more to come. I know that, that we suffer during this life. But, but we're, we're about to, to partake of that glory that is to be revealed. I'm, I'm a fellow partaker of that glory. And what kind of encouragement do you think this would have been to leaders who are under the threat of persecution? I'm, I'm not looking for all of my reward now. My, my reward comes in the future. There's glory That is to be revealed so don't give up don't give in keep looking to christ keep looking to him for your reward this is the the way that peter comes alongside to exhort these elders but what did peter exhort the elders to do look at verse 2. shepherd the flock of god responsibility for shepherds is given in the command shepherd the flock of god same idea that jesus communicated back in john 21 when he reinstated Peter into ministry with those words, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my lambs. Uh, to shepherd is a, a command to uh, really paralleled by a, another word, which means to feed. You know, even our English uh, word pastor, you know, comes from the, the background of that word is the pasture, you know, where you take the, the sheep out to go and eat. And as a, as a shepherd, you're to make sure that the sheep eat well. You know, do the hard work to feed the hungry sheep. You know, go where the green pastures are. You don't, you know, say, hey, this is easier over here. I got some brown, you know, dried up grass, but you know, that'll be enough. No, do the hard work to take them to the green pastures. That I I want the sheep to eat well. I'll do the hard work, you know, whether it's staying up late, getting up early, to make sure I do the hard work to make sure that the sheep eat well. I'm to take care of God's sheep. Shepherd the flock of God. Care for the flock of God of God in Acts chapter 20 verse 28 Paul says that this flock is the flock that belongs to God right this is God's flock this is the one that he's purchased with his own blood shepherd his flock and there's a heightened sense of responsibility knowing that the sheep don't belong to you the sheep belong to the chief shepherd you'll have to give an account for these sheep so make sure that you're caring for the sheep that you're laying your life down for the sheep because ultimately you have an account to give one day to the chief shepherd. The book of Ezekiel was written during a time of persecution, affliction, oppression for the people of God. He was a contemporary of uh, Daniel who uh, suffered in the, the Babylonian exile. And the question in Ezekiel 34 is, what did the spiritual leadership look like during a time of affliction and oppression? You know, what were the leaders doing during this time of exile? What were they doing while the people of God were suffering? Ezekiel 34, if you want to flip back there, Ezekiel 34 talks about the the word that was given to the leaders during this time of, of persecution. You find Ezekiel right before the book of Daniel. Ezekiel 34, what did the spiritual leadership look like? Look at verse 1. says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves! Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. And it's going to be a fearful day someday for many so-called pastors who have other intentions than for caring for the flock of God. Who, who search, seeks, uh, search, search to, 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 to strengthen themselves, to feed themselves, rather than laying down their lives to care for the flock of God. Go search for them. Seek for them. Don't let them become food for the, the beast of prey. It's going to be a fearful day for some shepherd someday when they have to give an account for the sheep that they have not cared for. And there's three motivations to guide the work of an elder in verses 2-3. to three. three ways that he's to exercise this oversight. Look what it says in the end of verse 2. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. According to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. How are we to shepherd the flock of God? Number one, we're to do it willingly. Willingly. Not under compulsion. Exercising under oversight. Not under compulsion. Not because you've been, you know, just drug into it, kicking and screaming. No, you're, you're to do this willingly. Not because somebody says, hey, we really need a, an elder. and you, you look like a good candidate. Why don't you come? You know, you get pushed over the, the line, kind of kicking and screaming, you know, to serve. That's not how we're to serve. We're to do it with a willing heart. Because if people can push you in, then people can push you out, right? We're not brought here under compulsion by by what people can do. Knowing that the church called me to do something won't be enough when the pressure is turned up. I need to have an internal compulsion to do what I do. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16 says, for if I preach, Paul says, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. There's something internally that drives me to do this. It's not because of what happens on the outside. I have an internal compulsion. It's not external. And brother, I know from many conversations that, that we've had that you have that, that drive to, to shepherd. It's in your bones. It's part of your DNA. That that's, It's not just what you do. It's who you are. You need to make sure that, that you have that within you, that it's God who's called me to do this. It's not just because of the, the, the need, but I'm driven by the, the Lord himself who's called me to be a shepherd. Galatians 1 and 15, it says, but when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. It's not because of people. It's got to be according to the will of God. So I do this willingly. There's an internal compulsion. Also do it eagerly. Again in verse 2, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness... I'm, I'm eager to do this i'm willing and i'm eager uh, the word for eagerness is uh, pro thumas uh, is a, a word that means uh, a passion and the prefix heightens it it's a, a strong passion to do what i do i'm not driven by the money to do what i do i love what our, our professor uh, from the Master seminary used to say he says he says gentlemen we don't get paid to preach we would pay to preach we, we're eager to preach and it's right to care for our families. And Scripture says the laborer is worthy of his hire. You know, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading the grain. But it's shameful when people get into the ministry because they're, they're drugged there by the money. You know, We, we, we are not driven by the money. sordid gain. Shameful gain. And it's not the, the money that's dirty. It's the, 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 the desires that people have. The motivation is what's corrupt. That's what's dirty. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 lets us know that greed is the mark of false teaching. It says false prophets arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive Pharisees, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. These are men that are motivated by by money, exploiting people with false words. In their greed, they exploit people. Even changing the the message to suit the hearers. You know, want to tickle the ears. That's not what we do. It's the, the love of Christ that compels us. Love of Christ and the love for His sheep. We're not motivated by riches. We're even willing to suffer for the sake of righteousness if it's necessary. And Kempis, that's how you have to be. Willing to suffer for the sake of righteousness. You're eager to do the work. You also do this work humbling. Humbly. Verse 3, Nowhere yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Ministry, ministry is not a power grab. It's not a power grab. It's not a desire for position or for prominence. And that needs to be true of the leader, that we're not in it for the title. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, it says it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. He, He desires the work. He doesn't desire the title. I desire the work. It's not the title that he aspires to. The title just comes along with the work. And I know, Kempis, that you've been willing to do the the work without the title, to serve without the title. Something is off-center if a person desires the title but not the work. (laughs) I've known men who've desired the office of elder but don't desire the work of being an elder. That was Diotrephes' problem. He loved to be first. We don't have a desire for prominence. We're not here to exercise authority over people. That's the way the Gentiles led. That's how they operated. Right on, uh, after you know, Jesus spoke to his disciples about his own death, right before Jesus spoke to his disciples about his own death, what were they speaking about? Who's, who's going to be first? <laughs> who's going to be first among us? Matthew chapter 20, Jesus called them, his disciples, to himself and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them, their great men exercised authority over them. It is not this way among you. That's not how it's supposed to be among believers. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, slave. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. We're, We're to lead by example, not lord by authority. The minister is to be a living illustration of what he wants to see in his congregation. He's not to lead by an iron fist, forcing His will, demanding submission. But the, the force of His life is the power of His example. The power of His example. The word example that's used in back in 1 Peter 5, proving to be examples to the flock, it comes from the, the Greek word tupas, which is where we get our English word type from. The word was used for a, a stamp, an impression that was made by the mark of a blow. And some of you guys are old enough to remember uh, the typewriters, right? <laughs> remember before word processors came out and we could afford computers, you know, kind of had to dink away on the, the typewriter. And you remember you, you hit, the, hit the, the, the letter and the little lever came down and struck the ribbon. And after the lever raised up, sometimes two or three letters came down if you didn't know what you were doing. And after it hit the ribbon and raised back up, the mark that it left on the paper was the same imprint as what was on the lever, right? Left its mark. And that's how, how we're to be. We're, we're to, to have such force, our example is to have such force that when we come into contact with other people that we leave a mark, that we leave an impression. Because we're, we're an example. We're, we're leaving something behind when we come into contact with people. And as you hit the right keys, you're leaving the right kind of impression behind for people to follow. The life of the leader should be so impactful that when it comes into contact with the people, that he leaves his mark behind. It's not that he forces you to follow, but the power of his life is just so powerful, so exemplary that that you desire to follow. I want to follow a life like that. So, one of the primary, that's the reason why the primary qualifications for uh, leadership are character qualifications. Primary qualifications for leadership is character. What what is he like? What is that person like? 1 Timothy 4, verse 12 says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Be an example. Titus 2, seven in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified. Be an example to those that you're around. Make, make sure that you're watching your, your life and your, your teaching. Guard your heart to make sure that you're the kind of example that others can follow. That when you're coming into contact with people, that you're leaving the right mark behind. Leaving the right kind of example for others to follow. And lastly, the, the results of following this exhortation. Look at verse 4. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The word for chief shepherd is only found once in the entire Bible, and it's used of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the good shepherd in John chapter 10. He's the one who gives his life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep in John 10 and verse 11. In Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus is called the great shepherd. Because His blood secures an eternal covenant before God, Hebrews 13 and verse 20, now the God of peace who brought up from the de- dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. And first Peter calls Jesus the chief shepherd, the arch shepherd, because Jesus is the one who's understood to watch over all of his flock. Jesus is the one who's the, the chief shepherd and shepherd. And that means that He also watches over the, the under-shepherds. He's the chief shepherd. And He's even watching over you, Kempis. He's watching over you. That includes the, the shepherd of the flock, that the, the chief shepherd watches over the shepherds. And would have been great comfort and motivation for people who are under a time of suffering, persecution, to a group of Christians who are feeling out of place in the world around them. Anybody feel like they're out of place in the world today? alien strangers among the world we don't belong here we face persecution from the world around us and it would have been great comfort to know that the chief shepherd is watching over you and you belong to his flock (laughs) you you may not belong in the world around you but you belong to the chief shepherd he's watching over us and one day that chief shepherd is going to call us call us home to be with him And we we want to be faithful until the chief shepherd appears. It doesn't matter what you lose on this earth, the chief shepherd will not lose any one of us. One hymn writer says, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, how He watches over His loved ones, died to call them all His own. How for them He intercedeth, watcheth over them from the throne. It's the chief shepherd who watches over us who will one day appear second appearing of Christ is a great theme in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, verse 7 speaks about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 13, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 13, "...to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation." There's coming a day when the Great Shepherd will be revealed in His glory, and when He appears, every sacrifice that you've ever made will all be worth it. When He appears in His glory. And he, he, he awards to you the unfading crown of glory. The uncorruptible crown. It's the crown of reward. It's not the, uh, the diadem, the kingly crown, but the Stephanos. It was uh, used for the reward for victory in the games, military valor, civic worth. Described over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He will reward you for being faithful. And that crown that He awards on that day will not lose its beauty, its unfading. And every sacrifice will be vindicated as well worth it because of the chief shepherd being honored and glorified. Every battle scar will one day be recognized. And faithful believers will reflect the glory that belongs to God as we're rewarded for what He's called us to do in the first place. Can you imagine that? All I'm doing is being faithful to the Lord and then He rewards me for doing what He's called me to do. And what I've done through the strength that He supplies, that I'll be rewarded even for for that. And that's what we're called to do as as shepherds. So, uh, Kempis, today I I charge you, I exhort you as a fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God among you and look forward to that day when the, the chief shepherd will appear and he will award you with the, the unfading crown of glory amen. amen let's look to the lord in prayer heavenly father we do thank you so much for this word uh, your word is rich it's true it's powerful father you give us everything that we need for life and godliness and our uh, father i pray for my dear brother kempis and that you'd make him a faithful servant of yours until the day of jesus christ in jesus name we praise you and give you thanks amen